Craig Parry, chairman of Inventor Group Companies here, uh, calling in from the BMO conference where Robert Friedland is speaking uh, at this very moment, the keynote address, uh, and uh, just checking in with you to give you a bit of an update on what we're seeing out there. Beautiful. Well, I, I, choosing us over Robert Friedland, I, I'm uh, so proud. Thank you very much. Well, what what is the mood of the nation? What are people talking about? Well, it's 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 an interesting conference, I suppose. The, the most important thing we're seeing is that the, the CEOs of the majors continue to talk about resource scarcity, uh, you know, particularly around lack of copper, uh, lack of silver, lack of new nickel projects. And there's some big things happening, of course. Rob Friedland, I was just listening to the first half of his convers- uh, presentation then. Uh, he, he, apart from being super bullish on, on every metal out there, uh, but particularly the battery metals, he made the point that he's now an advisor to one of the big German car manufacturers, uh, and he says that, uh, you know, they will be building uh, an incredible amount of EVs over the next 20 years, uh, and, and so demand for metals will continue. And he went on to make the point that Jeff Curry, for example, Jeff Curry being the chief analyst there at Goldman Sachs, has made the point that we're in a molecule crisis. Uh, there aren't enough molecules of copper nickel, uh, any other battery metal on the planet today uh, to to be supplied to a uh, very, very hungry market and uh, a market where demand continues to grow massively. So um, so that resource scarcity is is really one of the key themes. Of course, underlying everything that's happening at the moment is uh, the Ukrainian situation. And, uh, you know, Robert makes the point, something I share, I've, I've I've, uh, having built a coal mine in far eastern Russia, got to know Putin pretty well and I've had dinner with him and met him a couple of times. Uh, but unfortunately, we're seeing that, that Vladimir's turned into something of a lunatic. Uh, and of course, so that's a sort of key concern underlying everything that's happening here is what, what happens uh, in, in the Ukraine. And, uh, you know, one of the sort of corollaries or, or upshots of all of that is that we're seeing stronger uranium interest in uranium prices at the moment. So, you know, of course, that crisis has massive energy implications, as does the beginning of the world of the move to EVs. So there's there some of the key themes. Uh, I can also tell you that, um, you know, I've seen a number of fairly uninspiring presentations by the CEOs of major mining companies here in the past half a day. Uh, you know, Robert's always tremendously inspiring, but some of the CEOs, you know, of 20 minutes of presentation, you, you hear about 15 minutes on uh, health and safety and ESG uh, and diversity policies. Now, that's all very, very important for institutional investors uh, and, uh, and, and everyone, really. But, but, you know, I come to a conference like this to hear what they're thinking, what they're seeing in terms of the markets, where they think metal prices are going. And you're not hearing much of that from those guys. So some fairly uninspiring stuff on, on that front. Uh, thankfully, Robert fixed that up by, uh, by, by being super bullish on everything that we've talked about uh, and everything, everything we're seeing out there at the moment. Always, always. Um, here's a question for you with regards to what's going on with, uh, you know, the situation in Russia and you, you, sorry, in, in Ukraine with Russia. Um, is sanctions now starting to be imposed? We're, we've seen uh, Russian companies, um, you know, suffering from that. I, you know, I think that's the general uh, intent. Um, we're seeing possibly the supply chains that you, you've you been talking about that and Robert Friedman has been talking about will be affected even more. So what's that do for prices going forward? It can only be positive, of course, uh, you know, to, to use a couple of examples. Oil and gas, I suppose we haven't seen 
Uh, and of course, to some extent, uh, the world relies on Russian oil and gas, particularly Europe. Um, and we haven't seen serious sanctions uh, on that front just yet. They have to come. I think, I think you're absolutely going to see that. And of course, um, uh, Germany now talking about keeping, of course, being uh, captive to some extent to, to Russian oil and gas, uh, now talking about keeping on their nuclear uh, power plants. Now, of course, they, they had planned to uh, decommission those over the next few years. Now talking about uh, maintaining those. So, so, you know, Germany, big user of energy, coming to the realisation that they need to uh, be independent of Russian supply for their energy sort of energy resources. So hence we've seen a, a real uptick today in all of the Iranian names. I think Chemico is up a couple of dollars or all 5 to 10%. We've seen most companies in the Iranian space up 10% off the back of that rhetoric and the back of those changes today. So, you know, that, that that's something of a big, uh, I think, for, for metal markets. Um, you know, none of, none of this is great, of course. Uh, we, we've done a fair bit of research here in recent uh, months looking at... Uh, with, with the expectation that this, this situation would arise and, and looking at what that means for markets generally and then uh, miners and explorers. And I suppose what we do see, what we've seen historically is that whenever you have uh, a flare-up, a, a you know, threat of war or war like this, usually typically very, very good for metals and commodity prices. Um, and then unfortunately, you know, we're starting to see that, that arise. I think, you know, I suspect it will be fairly short-term stuff. I, I, I do have, you know, having spent five years building a company in Russia, I still have friends in Russia that, that are connected into the Kremlin. And I suppose what we're hearing is that this should be over very quickly. I hope so. I, I guess we saw yesterday or over the weekend, um, you know, some serious, what can only be described as, as maniacal rhetoric from Putin uh, around uh, the threat of nuclear war, uh, terrifying stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, assuming that goes away, I think that, that the upshot of this will, will be that we need to see uh, more supply from the West of, of metals. Uh, and just specifically on the nickel, uh, the nickel market, nickel price, of course, the biggest, biggest producer of nickel in the world is Nerils Nickel from that giant Nerils Nickel mine. Uh, I think they produce over 15% of the world's nickel supply. Um, and, uh, you know, we could see sanctions really threaten that. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the nickel price tip up here very, very strongly, uh, you know, regardless of all the other demand factors that are emerging on the nickel front. So, uh, you, you know, watch this space on, on nickel. It'll, it'll be interesting with nickel, obviously, 40% of um, Norelsk's uh, nickel is uh, processed through the refinery in Finland. It'll be interesting to see how the West is going to penalise and sanction Russia going forward, something like that will make a, a big difference to their output for, for sure. Um, th th so just in, just in terms of coming, just sticking with these sanction components, and again, you, you've referenced oil as a, you know, as a space that you know. Um, what we have seen in the past is the fact that sanctions are um, put in place, but the product, in this case oil, does find its way into the market, albeit at a discount. You know, do you, do you think that we'll see a bit of that um, clever moving by traders on a lot of these commodities? Yeah, yeah. having sort of had the benefit of reading Mark, Mark Rich's uh, autobiography recently, um, you know, the, the, the trading houses are incredibly resourceful at getting product from where they shouldn't and out into the market. So I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised 
to, to see, you know, that continue to happen. And, of course, you know, the US still needs to get a lot of its, its supply. The globe needs to get a lot of its supply from the fungible nature of oil. So, um, you know, I, I can't see that drying up too much. But, it, you know, Germany and Europe talking about uh, ending major gas projects and gas pipelines. Um, you know, this could be an interesting time for the world in terms of, uh, of, of, of oil and, and gas demand and, and where, where, what happens for those mega projects. I think um, it may be very positive for US producers and, and Canadian producers, of course. And we've seen that in recent times. I think you've seen a real pickup, not only in the commodity price, but you're now starting to see equities move strongly as well. So gas, I think, good place to be for the next little while. Yeah, it's certainly interesting in Europe with regards to Nord Stream 2 not getting the approvals um, as expected. It's But those, those, that's a Russia-European joint investment. So great, great, great uh, TV, I suspect, coming down the line on, on, on that one. Let's, let's come back to BMO and what you're hearing there. We've, there's been a couple of big deals announced already. Um, you know, the big guys are coming into smaller projects than perhaps they would have in the past. What's going on? Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? I think, um, you, you know, of course, because what we have been uh, from the majors in recent times, what we've seen over the last 10 years is a serious reduction in their exploration efforts. Rio Tinto has probably maintained their exploration efforts and has had some success with the discoveries of deposits like Winu uh, up there in the northwest shelf of uh, Western Australia. So great success there. But, but most of the other guys have really reduced their exploration efforts, exploration teams and budgets. Now, for me, that's meant a happy hunting ground of, you know, very good exploration times. Uh, but for this majors, BHP particularly, uh, you, you know, you've seen no discoveries coming out, out of them and very little work on that exploration front. So, um, you know, and of course what that means is that as, as they see, as they turn bullish on commodity prices, which they evidently have, they start doing, doing more and more deals uh, further down the food chain. And you see some, uh, some of the M&A that's going on at the moment. But BHP has been a particularly interesting example. Uh, they, we saw their uh, deal to acquire Norant uh, here in Canada there, um, uh, you know, six months ago. And today, of course, they announced a $100 million investment into the Lundin's Philo mining. Philo had that massive discovery down in Argentina, uh, you know, some of the most spectacular drill results that we've seen in, in recent years. I think one of those holes was 1,800 metres at nearly 3% copper equivalent. So spectacular results. Um, uh, BHP putting $100 million into the company for 5% uh, of the company. Uh, so it values that company at uh, what's that about $2 billion into Philo. And I think we're going to see more and more of those sorts of deals. And certainly, uh, you know, one of the key themes here um, are those investments. And I think there's a lot of sort of meetings going on around me now. And certainly some of my companies are having these, uh, whereby some of the, 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 the mid-cap and major companies are wanting to talk to smaller companies about what they have. Uh, and, and their recent discoveries. So you can see something emerging. I think, um, you know, my observation on the markets over, over the last 20 years has been that when you get a move in a commodity price, it, it, it then the benefits of, of that commodity price trickle down through through the different tiers of companies. And we saw last week Barrick announced uh, an outsized profit result, uh, share buyback uh, and an enlarged dividend um, that drove Barrick's share price up 5% on the day. Uh, you know, very, very positive news. We're starting to see some of the mid-tier producers' uh, share prices move more solidly as well. 
junior market, I think, really takes another, you know, typically lags about a year to two years before the junior market uh, really starts to move. And, of course, those institutional investors, they get set in the majors where it's obvious that the uh, share price uh, appreciation is going to happen off the back of outsized profits. And then they start looking down the, the different levels of companies through the mid-tiers and then into the junior market. And of course, the majors do the same things when it comes to the position. So there's a sort of knock-on effect that comes uh, as people look down the food chain to the smaller fish and smaller opportunities to to invest in and acquire. I think that we're on the verge of that sort of breakout, you know, in, in mid-years and into the juniors over the next 18 months. So it's a sort of good time, you, you know, there's sort of no rush for investors to get set, I think. Uh, other than, you know, if you think that the commodity prices are going to, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if you do see gold pop above $2,000 here soon. It's worth looking at it and investing now, but um, you've still got a bit of time to get set in some of the juniors out there. I think we, we haven't seen big moves in those companies just yet, but they're coming. They're absolutely coming. So th- these um, increases in the commodity prices across this year, I mean, we've seen copper, we've seen nickel, we've seen lithium. The battery uh, metals themselves have seen huge appreciation uh, this year. The equities have not followed at the same pace. But with the moves by these majors looking further and further down the food chain to smaller deals, because the big, super big deals, these super giant deals just aren't there like they used to be, just made your job a little bit easier, didn't it? You know, so we, we're on that sort of uh, that, that trajectory now whereby the majors are looking at smaller and smaller companies. Philo, of course, very, very big company controlled by the Lundin family, very successful. The Norant deal, a little bit more interesting. You know, that's a $400 million acquisition for what is, you know, they have a modest nickel resource there. But in essence, it's a $400 million exploration level deal, which is astonishing. You know, we haven't seen that happen for, for probably 10 years. Um, so I can, you know, I can see uh, a really sort of bullish picture emerging from the activities of those pages. And again, it all gets back to the lack of exploration over the last 10 years and lack of development work. So they, these guys, are, you know, with the commodity prices really taking off and this, this uh, uh, disconnect between demand and supply that, that Robert Friedman's just been talking about today, um, that underinvestment in the sector means that... Uh, there's going to have to be a lot of buying of, of junior and mid-tier companies by the majors to maintain um, uh, maintain their production profile. Does it change the way that you go about delivering your companies into market? In the sense, you've always been about strong fundamentals. Um, does this change the way that you spend your money, allocate your capital? Because if you know that the majors are looking for smaller projects that you don't need to work them up as much as before, but you do need to tell a story. Yeah, it, look, it, it sort of goes, I think, you know, it points to a couple of things there. You, you still need to go for quality projects. You, you know, you need something that, that, that sort of goes back to my you know, old Rio Tinto saying, size of the prize, costs and the test and chance of success. The size of the prize has to be right for these guys. So getting a project, you know, you don't want to sm- focus on small projects. You need uh, medium and large projects and go for the best quality ones you can get. Thankfully, you know, we've been successful in that in the inventor group of companies. We've got some fabulous projects on that front. And, and certainly I can tell you that some of the majors are now starting to take, take notice of what we're doing. Um, so, so that's very, very positive. Uh, I think um, and just on that front, you know, we've had some very good news out today from uh, Beesla Silk. Uh, we put out our maiden resource. You know, we, yeah, congratulations. I was expecting a maiden resource. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. For nice that. number. This is Very nice a number. Bit of a beautiful number. A bit of a muted response from the market because of uh, the, the the sort of geopolitical ructions that are going on at the moment, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I think the market was expecting about eighty million ounce made in resource there at our Panuco project. We've put out a resource that's one hundred and thirty eight million ounces. Uh, of course. That uh, the data cut off from that, that um, resource was the end of November last year, so we've had another three months of drilling with ten rigs. Uh, so that resource is growing all the time. So I think you know that will turn into a true tier one or world class uh, silver district there. So that you know we're very very excited about that. Surge copper, we've been putting out some very strong numbers, of course. Uh, you, you know. 50 metres at 1% from surface at our project there in British Columbia. So, um, you know, we're in the right space there. We've got battery metal, silver particularly, and also copper uh, in those companies. So, so lots, of, lots of good news there. And I'll remind people, I think, Matt, when we last talked, we, we talked about our Beesler copper. Um, you know, we're scouring the globe for, for major copper acquisitions as we speak. And I can tell you, it remains very, very hard to find any quality projects there at that exploration through the development stage. We're really, um, you know, quite quite astonished, I can tell you, by the lack of quality projects out there. So I think, you know, this all points to very, very much, much stronger metal prices uh, over the near term uh, and particularly the longer term. Brilliant. And I guess the only black sheep in, in this conversation is uranium price. What on earth? It's got everything it needs to be driven higher. It's not listening. It's not listening. Of course, you know, there's about, if you include the yellow cake, uh, the Sprott Uranium Trust, uh, and, and one other that I'm missing there. The, Kaz the Kazakh one. Yeah. yeah. The Kazakh, that, that's right, because Adam Prom, there's about $1.8 billion sitting on the sidelines ready to come into, uh, into the market. But of course, the, the, you know, if you look at Sprott, Sprott Uranium Trust, you need to have uh, the, the NAV needs to, um, their share price needs to be above their NAV, of course, before they can start buying. And that's not been the case for the past few months because of the work where it is just at the moment. I, I think that that could change very quickly. And, of course, you know, energy scarcity and global energy supply concerns around the Ukrainian situation uh, are suggesting to people that Uranium prices really could move very strongly here over the next few months, and we, hence we're seeing uh, most of the uranium plays up 10% plus today. But it's a, fool, it's a fool's game to estimate what that price will be, it, it, history tells us. It's, it's burnt me far too many times. <laughs> I, I, I think everyone can make that claim. Look, I know you're, you're busy, you've got meetings to go to. I really appreciate you dialing in from BMO in Miami. Uh, go enjoy the, the meetings, the sunshine and everything else uh, that uh, happens down there. And uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you when you're back in Vancouver. Okay. Fantastic, Matt. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much.